We are in a new sermon series. This is the first installment of a sermon series entitled Letters to the Church. Letters to the Church. So uh, in thinking about letters to the church, we're talking about it from a perspective of the Apostle Paul. He wrote epistles to the New Testament that we have in our laps today. As your Bibles are there, whether it's an app on your phone or a physical Bible you have in your lap, uh, that Bible is there. And a lot of the New Testament is written in epistles. And you've heard that word throughout your upbringing, I'm sure, in church. If you haven't, the word epistle, the people in church world will say uh, the epistles of Paul. And Paul writes an epistle. And the word epistle actually means a letter. Everybody say a letter. So God wrote through the apostle Paul letters to the church. And today I want us to look at these letters, some of these letters, and in the next few weeks we're going to dive into what God's Word says through some of these letters to the church. But the, the context of all this is from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 is an epistle to the Hebrews. It says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit, and joints from morrow, it is able to judge the desires and the thoughts of the heart. The King James says the intents of the heart. The Word of God is living and is active. This Bible that we hold is not some age-old uh, fairy tale or just a storybook. It is an actual living, breathing Word of God written to our lives that we could have a letter ourselves. But whenever I was thinking about the word letter, the term letter, I looked it up in the dictionary. The word letter or term letter means a written, typed, or printed communication, especially one in an, sent in an envelope by mail or by messenger. The secretary at my workplace, uh, Sandy, she's near and dear to my heart, and she says this all the time, Ben, her previous boss, said to her, Sandy, there's power in the pen. There's power in the pen. And she take, took that to be literal. So she, uh, oftentimes, if somebody's going through a hard time or something, she will handwrite a note, stick it in an envelope, and send it to them. If she knows one of our members is dealing with this or dealing with that, and maybe not everybody knows, she'll write a little note, you know, just a little, little memo, a little note, sign it, love Sandy, and she sends it out to everybody. And our membership loves her dearly because she cares for them. She has compassion for them. And she loves them, and she always writes, love Sandy. So as she writes these letters, everybody has grown pretty fond of Sandy. And uh, just recently in one of our meetings who was talking and one of the members, he's uh, probably in his 30s somewhere and, and it, you know, Sandy's uh, been there 26 years and everybody's just grown accustomed to having Sandy. We've got Sandy, you know, and, uh, but she's about two years probably away from her retirement. And one of the members during the meeting the other day, they said, uh, have you guys been thinking about what are we going to do when Sandy's gone? If you have a person like that in your life, you will miss them. If you have a person that cares about you, that cherishes you, that writes you a letter, that writes you a little personal note here or there, you will grow pretty fond of them. And as I was thinking about these letters, my grandmother, Shirley, Naomi, 
foreman Collier, she would always write her name out that way so that everybody would remember that she was a foreman. Even though she married a Collier, she wanted to make sure that her, her maiden name was in there. So uh, it's kind of that way on Leslie's Facebook. It says Leslie Barber Collier. What did you do, change it? Oh, okay. Well, she changed it for a while. But it used to say Leslie Barber Collier because she wanted her high school friends to know this is Leslie Barber that's now a Collier. Because in doing genealogy, I go back and study genealogy, and if I can't find the name written in a maiden name, it's hard to find your matron through your genealogy. It's hard to do that because a lot of off times, they'll just start signing their name with their, just their married name. So ladies, I encourage you to write your former uh, name in your, uh, when you're signing your name so that maybe future generations will be able to find you. Because more than likely they won't if they're doing what I'm doing right now, studying genealogy. It's hard to pin it down. There's power in the pen. But my grandmother, Shirley Naomi Foreman Collier, would write letters. And she actually wrote letters to the editor. She would write an article in the newspaper. It was called The Bookworm. So maybe some of you people that remembers the Lewis County Herald back in the day, she would write letters in the Lewis County Herald, and her column was called The Bookworm. And she would devour, and recently she titled it The Bookworm because she was a devourer of books. She loved books. She loved reading. So a bookworm is a worm that gets in and eats the inside pages of the book, and she'd done that uh, mentally, that she would consume books. She loved books. She could quote over 100 full-page poems when she passed away and oft times you would be sitting talking to her and she would just go into talking about something and she would go to quoting a full page poem talking about what she was talking about. She loved poetry, she loved philosophy, she loved all these different uh, types of writing. She loved reading. But she also knew the power of the pen. Because when you put it in writing, it's there. The Word of God is eternal. Scripture teaches us that not one dot or one tittle of God's Word will be done away with. That the Word of God is eternal. So this Bible that you have today was written, and when it was written, it was for eternal purposes. So we can't say, well, that was for them 2,000 years ago or that was for them 4,000 years ago. The Word of God is for us today, for the people sitting in this room. But as I begin to ponder about letters, you know, to the church and letters that makes a difference in the world and how that the pen has power to, to uh, define destiny and, and change generations and change the world. I began to look through some other letters, even in, in, in a secular society. And, and one of those letters that I, I found and I've heard about it all my life was the Magna Carta. It, just look at that, the Magna Carta. It was written in 1215 and it was from uh, an agreement between the king and the civilization in England to say that there were some basic rights that every citizen had, the Magna Carta. So there was power in that because it changed the course of history after that, that people felt like there was rights as citizens in their government. It changed destiny of generations following, even up to today. It's basically the first peace treaty with the citizens. There's another thing that I've heard about all my life, a letter that I've t heard about, and it's just uh, two words. It's habeas corpus. How many's ever heard the term habeas corpus? 
It's a term that uh, we know and learned about in school and I looked it up and it's the medieval Latin word meaning literally that you have the body. It's a recourse in law through which a person can report an unlawful detention or imprisonment. So habeas corpus is this agreement to say that you could only be detained or put into prison or into jail by just things so that you got a judgment in America we have a judged according to your peers. That's where we get a jury from. And this habeas corpus is what sets all that in motion so that it isn't one individual and their direction to define the destiny for others, but it's a, an agreement amongst civilization to say there's a justice that needs to go through a process to make sure somebody is detained rightly. Are there people in prison that are there because of bad deals? Absolutely. You can watch some TV shows and some new documentaries and they, they go through off times and now after DNA was, was uh, invented and they figured out how to do DNA that it proved previous cases from before that where somebody's been locked up 20 and 30 years of their life because of this crime or that crime but now DNA proves that they was unjustly put in prison. Habeas corpus allows them to leave prison because they don't deserve to be there. Justice is, let them go if they're proved to be in the right. There's all kinds of letters that, that was written by different men of old in the past several hundred years that's really uh, defined the world that we live in today. One of them is the Declaration of Independence. We hear about that, right, whenever we uh, learn in school and, and kids are getting ready to go back to school here in the next week, and uh, I'm sure they're so excited, and, and parents are so excited to get their kids in school. Amen. Somebody, parents say a good amen. That's your spot right there. Can't wait to get rid of them for a little while longer, right? But my grandmother had an eighth grade education, but she learned the power of the pen even without a formal high school education or anything. She, she learned how to do that. My grandpa had an eighth grade education too, and, and he, he went on and read books, and I've got the book at the house, his first book he read. I've got it, got it at home. But the Declaration of Independence was written a couple hundred years ago by 50-some uh, men that joined together to say, you know what, King George, that we're, uh, we've got taxation without representation. We don't have a, 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 a say in our existence. So they went together and they formed this body and they, they, they wrote this out in this Declaration of Independence that they were going to succeed from England. And basically what they was doing was saying, in our succession or as we depart from England, this is a death wish. If you don't believe me, go home and write you a Declaration of Independence and say you and your little five acres of property are going to succeed from the nation of the United States. See how that goes for you. Because more than likely, the NSA, FBI, CIA, everybody else is going to come to your house and say, who do you think you are that you can create your own little nation and you don't even have any, any leadership or anything? How are you going to do that? They'll say you can't. These 50-some men said, yes, we can, because there are inalienable rights that was given by God that we can pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? So this letter that they wrote to this king was a death wish for themselves, but they wrote it anyway. Why? Because there's power in the pen. So today as we look at this and think about it from this perspective, that our pen can change our future. A very ink pen can change your future. 
There's another thing to look at the Constitution of the United States, and you can go through, and I've got a little book of that at home that my grandmother gave me. It was in 1935. It was prior to Hawaii and Alaska. But I've got the Constitution of the United States. I carry it around a lot of times in my car with me so that I've got it because whenever somebody says, how are you going to do this or how are you going to do it? Because the Constitution says so. It's the Constitution. It's a written letter by people back during George Washington's time to say this is how we're going to conduct ourselves as citizens. This is how we're going to conduct our country. We need to know our Constitution. But then a few years later they decided that the Constitution was this great document, but guess what? It didn't cover everything. So then they wrote this thing called the Bill of Rights. Has anybody ever heard of the Bill of Rights? So Bill of Rights is basically amendments to the Constitution to say as we write these Bill of Rights, these, uh, uh, this Constitution, that we're going to agree together, but it's amendable because some things come up that we didn't think about before. See, everybody thinks that George just because George Washington had two terms, that every president after him wasn't allowed to do, do but only two terms because George Washington said so. It wasn't in writing anywhere. So during the 1930s, Franklin Delano Roosevelt got elected to his first two terms, and at the end of his last of his second term, there become a great war that's happening in the earth, and he said, I'm not going. And he ran for a third term. During World War II, that was his third term. And during the end of World War II, the very last year of World War II, he decided, you know what? I've been here two terms plus this term during the war. I think I deserve another one. He ran for a fourth term, one again. So then they wrote after that, and they made a law where that now there's a system for uh, uh, of how, how do you conduct a presidency. And it's in writing. So now you can only go two terms. Two terms is it. Because it's in writing. If you write stuff down, it carries water. Amen? You can say whatever you want, but when you write it down, it changes everything. Bill of Rights. Another great orator that happened back during the Civil War, the president was Abraham Lincoln, and it was immediately after he won his first election that within a few months the Civil War broke out and the, and the bombs started flying and everything else, and, and he goes through his entire first, uh, uh, first presidency, his first term, and during this Civil War, and you've got over 400,000 Americans dying because brothers are killing brothers. Son, uh, fathers are killing sons. Uh, they're killing, uh, nephews are killing uncles. It's everybody. There's death everywhere. And Abraham Lincoln is consumed by this, and he's, he's consumed to hold the nation together, to hold the Bill of Rights and the Constitution in place. But these Southerners were looking to succeed from the Union, and Abraham do, Lincoln's doing all he can do to hold it together. And he, he, he gets out there on the battlefield during one of these battlefields, and he goes over, and he's writing, he's going along. And I've, I've read history about this as he's, as he's going towards this, this battle of Gettysburg and, and, and preparing to go there. He knows he's got to speak to the men. Because they're discouraged. So he begins to pin down this little bitty note, and it's in handwriting, and they've got a copy of it today, and how he changed words and different stuff and moved sentences around. But he put it in writing. And he stood up before that, uh, just a valley of death. There was thousands of soldiers dead laying all around him. They didn't have time to dig burial grounds or to bury them. And they're laying on the top of the ground. And Abraham Lincoln stands up above these people and he declares these words. Four score and seven years ago, 
Our fathers brought forth this nation. And as he begins to pen these words and write these words and declare these words, it changed history. When we put it in writing, your pathway in the future can change. The Gettysburg Address changed that for him. Jump forward another hundred years back in the 1960s. In the 50s and 60s, there was this young black man that grew up in the South. He grew up in church. He grew up loving God and loving people. But he looked around and he seen his brothers being afflicted because of the color of their skin. And he decided that's not justice. He decided that if the Constitution says that we're all created equal, all men are created equal, and they've got unalienable rights, that they're not aliens, they're not foreigners, they're not this group or that group, we're all human beings. And as he began to think about that, he went through his life in, 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 in creating this movement. And I didn't live then. I was born in 1976, but I studied enough history to know Martin Luther King Jr. changed the destiny of our nation to bring inclusion where the people were allowed to go to the water fountain. Wouldn't it be sad today to be in this church house and have a water place downstairs and have a different call for black people and white people? I can't even imagine that kind of world. But it was the world before Martin Luther King. He changed everything. But he penned this, this, this letter down one day as he's traveling to this million man march and there's people all over Washington, D.C. And as he's traveling, going up the road, he's penning down these words and he writes this letter. He writes it out and it's called the I Have the Dream speech. We've heard that, haven't we? He said, I have a dream where little black boys and little white boys can have respect for each other. What's your dream? Is your dream a dream of equality? Are women lesser than men? See, we have to decide these things. And it's important to us to have an understanding of these things. But by men in previous generations writing things down, it changed the world that we're currently living in. And hopefully for the better. Amen? Hopefully for the better. But as I think about all those letters, all those different documents that I've just talked about, there's a more important letter that we have to look at today. What letter is that? It's called epistles. It's called the Word of God. I'm glad we have a Constitution. I'm glad we've got a Bill of Rights. I'm glad I can go back and have the Gettysburg Address to know that there's emancipation, a proclamation that all men are going to be free. I'm glad Martin Luther King had a, I had a dream speech so that I can think, yes, I can, I can grow up in a little rural, impoverished city known as Quincy, Kentucky. Amen? But God can change my heart. And I just hope and pray that I have an impact on society the way he did. 
more important than all these writings is the Word of God. It's His personal love letter to you. So I want you to begin as you're reading your Bible and studying your Bible to look at it from the perspective, this is God's penned word to me. Amen? It's his personal love letter to you. You remember what it was like in grade school? One of you was in second grade, and you seen that little hottie sitting over there, and you was like, we didn't even say you want to go out. Kids now, they're little grade schoolers are saying you want to go out and they, they'll say I'm going out with so and so I'm go, going out where? Where are you going out to? You ain't going out nowhere. You're going home. Right? But back then when I was in school old fuddy duddy me would say do you want to be my girlfriend? Right? Check yes or no like the song. I remember writing those. One time I was so popular I had three girlfriends at the same time in the fourth grade. I know their names. I can remember their names. Trinity Stanley, Dakota Smith, Beth McGlone. Those are my girlfriends in grade school. I, more than that, too. I had other girlfriends, too. I had, you know. But when you're a kid, you don't understand all that. Like Brindley, she's a, I don't know. She loves everybody. <laughs> Who's your girlfriend, she'll say. She'll tell boys that. It's pretty wild. But these little letters you would write had meaning. Because I could run around telling everybody, hey, I, I, want, I want Trinity Stanley to be my girlfriend. And it just went through the word of communication. But if I put it down in writing, it puts her on the spot. Amen? So sometimes you've got to put her on the spot. You've got you to put it in writing, and it'll change the destiny that you, if you just say, I like Trinity Stanley, that's going nowhere. But if you put it in writing, she's got to check one of the boxes. And if it comes back not at all, you figure it out. That means no. Amen? So whenever we're thinking about putting things in writing, I want to talk to you today about the importance of pinning something down. Of actually putting it in writing. Like Sandy, my secretary does that whenever something's going on she'll put it in writing she don't just call somebody and say I care about you or, or do this or Facebook message or any of that stuff she actually writes it on a paper with a pencil or a pen so whenever I begin to look through some of the epistles, I, I started looking at you know letters to the church where God wants to change the church, that God wants to write a letter to the Christians in the, in the beginning when the church just began. And what is, one of the ones here is the epistle that Paul wrote was Romans. Roman, Rome was the empire of the world. It would be like the United Nations of today. Rome secured all of the surrounding areas, and they had all these other countries that were under their empire, under their possession, that they had beat in battle and took possession of them. But Rome would dictate things. And you got to think, this little bitty old Christian guy that just got saved and was blind on the road to Damascus that got saved and, and changed and he's no longer a Jewish person, he's no longer a Pharisee, now he's a Christian. And as he's a Christian, he got, looks around and he hears all these words coming of what's happening in the church in Rome and he says, that's messed up. So Paul writes a letter, an epistle to the Romans.
basically, basically like the Declaration of Independence, it was a death warrant. You don't tell your boss what to do. You don't tell leaders what to do. But Paul put it in writing and he pinned it down. And he said, this is the word of the Lord to the church at Rome. Because there was an infraction inside of the church at Rome because there was a segment of Jewish people and there was a segment of Greeks. You can study this through the book of Acts and see this taking place. So Paul writes in a writing and says, that's not right. Jews, you're no better than the Greeks. And Greeks, guess what? You're no better than the Jews. Isn't it amazing whenever God looks at us that we can't say but look at them? Someday whenever we stand before God at, at the great white throne judgment, we're going, well, I'm not going to be able to look over and say, but God, didn't you see Jason doing that? Didn't you see Ryan over there? Did, didn't you see this? Brother Craig, look somewhere else, God. We always try to point fingers somewhere else, right? But God's going to look at us. we got an inclusive God that whenever we're standing before him, it's going to be inclusive about us. So Paul's writing this letter and he says, Jewish people, you might have been born in this tribe. You might have been born of that tribe or the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. But guess what? None of that matters. If how you treat people is wrong, it's wrong. Amen. Amen. It don't matter which side of the train tracks I grew up on. I can't treat somebody of lesser class than me like they're less to God. Because guess what? God might look at them and say, I'll pull them up out of that trash heap and I'll make something glorious out of their life. It might be a Martin Luther King where the people say, well, poor Martin Luther King Jr., he just stayed in the South and minded his own business. But guess what? When God raises a man up and he plants him before people, it'll change the destiny of the world. And Paul says, it's in Romans chapter 2, verse 11. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You need to mark it in your Bible. If you've got your Bible today, flip it over to Romans chapter 2, verse 11, and draw you a big circle around it, put stars on it, highlight it, make it where that you will always look back to this verse. Because Paul's speaking to the Greeks and to the Jews, and he says these words, For with God there is no partiality. He's not partial to one group over another. He doesn't love the St. Paul Church of Christ more than he loves Bethesda. Amen? He don't love Bethesda more than he does the Baptists down in Garrison. God loves us all the same. Amen? He cherishes us all the same. And there's no factions, there's no friction, there's no separation inside the church. And should we be able to go and worship wherever we want? Absolutely. But guess what? With God, there's no partiality. He's not going to say, well, Brother Wes Cooper, you did such an amazing job, and you get all the rewards, and Ben gets nothing. There's no partiality. We all got to give an account for what I did. Amen? Amen? Amen. And God don't cherish anybody over anybody else. That's the New Testament. If you don't think the New Testament changed some things, go back and read the Old Testament. Amen. Sister Craig's shaking her head because she's been through enough Sunday school to know. You get into the Old Testament, amen, there was differences. 
There was classes of people. There was groups of people. There was outside people, outside the realm of salvation. But guess what? When Jesus came, when he hung on that cross, it changed everything. It changed it all. It made it work no matter whether you're Jew, you're Greek, you're female, you're bond servant, you're free. Come all to the cross of Jesus and bow humbly before him, and he will save your soul. It changed everything. Paul wrote that letter. And we have it today and we can read about how do you deal with your government. I think it's Romans chapter 16 maybe that tells us how, how to pray for those that, that God puts in authority over your life. Guess what that means? Whenever President Trump's the president, you've got to pray for him whether you like him or not. And guess what? When God puts Obama in place, guess what you've got to do with him? You've got to pray for him whether you like him or not. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. It's Bible. I don't like some government officials, but guess what? My duty, according to the New Testament that Paul told me, it don't matter if you like them or not, you've got to get along with others. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got to get along with you even though I don't like you. I hope you wasn't saying that to your wife. We have to get along. And this is hard whenever you wake up in the morning because some people are morning people and some people are night owls. Come on, somebody. My dad, he likes to wake up at about 5 in the morning, and he likes to go to sleep at about 9 at night. Mom likes to go to sleep at about 4 in the morning and, and go to bed, you know, get up at noon or something. They're different, living in the same house, two different people. And guess what? At the end of the day, I remember when they used to fight over that when I was a kid. I mean, getting screaming matches over, you won't get out of bed, get out of bed, be like me, Dad would say. Mom's like, why don't you stay up all night with me? We're different. It's okay. Guess what? You can go up to mom and dad's now. And dad knows. He gets up real quiet in the morning. He's tiptoed through the house. He opens the door and he'll go down to the garage. And he'll beat and thrash down to the garage so it don't wake mom up. But mom at night, she's in there beating pans and bang, bang, making pies. And dad's in there trying to sleep. Only one we've got pies to make for the church. We'll give her a little leadway. But people are different. And it's okay. Amen. In God's house, it's okay to be different. There's a diversity at Bethesda. I love it when I look and I see little newborns and I see people in their 80s and their 60s and 70s. I see 50-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 20-year-olds and teenagers and little kids that go to elementary school. I'm glad there's a diversity at Bethesda. Why? Because God's kingdom is going to look like that. And whenever Greg's friend comes in and he's, he's black on the outside but inside he's a Christian, guess what? I'm not going to hold this pulpit back and say, that guy's not allowed to speak. He's black. I'm going to hand him a microphone. Why? Because God's kingdom is bigger than us. And if there's any lesson we need to know from these letters from the Apostle Paul is get along. Let it go. Quit being selfish. Quit acting like God loves you more than he does somebody else. Paul also writes to the Corinthian church and he tells them there's all kinds of sexual immorality. There's this going on. And there's, there's a, 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 all these factions inside the Corinthian church. And he tells them, let it go. Learn to get along with other people. So today my letter to you as the church of Bethesda is this. I'm writing you a letter through words right now. And I'm telling you as your pastor, as, as this sermon is coming out, get along with others. I'm glad we're not alike. 
I'm glad teenagers can come to a youth group where some of them will talk your leg off and the others will be quiet and never say a word. I love it that some of them can come from a, a nice little uh, tight-knit home that's got grandparents and everything else and, and another kid can walk through the doors that don't have anybody in this world other than foster parents and they can come in and they feel equal. There's something about that that makes me know that God is in the midst of what we're doing. You can be different here. One of the lessons we need to learn as a church is this. As humans, not just the church, I think the whole world needs to learn it. It's called conflict resolution. They don't teach it much at school, but I think they ought to. We need to learn to get along. Amen? We need to learn to get along. Conflict resolution is to resolve something, to bring it to an end. So if you've got somebody today, and Sister Albie done an awesome job last week speaking about how that we've got all these things that, you know, that we bring up all these things in our mind and we fight these people for, for years and decades and all this stuff and just let it go. And she told you to write their name down and tear it up on a piece of paper and all that. Sometimes a written note will change things. There's power in the pen. Jesus said this once when he was preaching one time, and he told him, he said, if you got out with your brother and you come up and, and pray, before you can even pray at an altar, you've got to go and take care of the business you've got against your brother or sister. Release them, forgive them, and then return back to the altar, and then you can pray. Some of us wonder, why have I prayed so many times this one thing in my life? And it seems like I never get any results. It seems like nothing's ever let go. But you're holding on to ill feelings towards somebody in your past. Jesus is saying, if you'll let that go, I'll change it from this point forward. There's power in forgiveness. And I'm telling you right now, if you'll write a handwritten note to somebody that you don't want to, that you say you don't know what they did to me, I'm telling you, there is power in the pen when you write it down and forgive somebody. but it's not common in our world today. People say, I'm just going to excommunicate myself from them. I'm just going to go another direction. I'm going to live over here and they can live over there and none of it matters. But the whole time your brain is just filled with animosity. And God's telling you today, let it go. They're just different than you and that's okay. Amen? They're different than you and that's okay. Do you have to be best friends in the future? No, but let it go. Learn how to resolve some conflict in your life. I'm thinking right now in my mind about this letter writing. How powerful it can be. how it can change destinies 
that it can change this. It can change the whole county. It can change your neighborhood. It can change your nation. It can change your world. There's power in the pen. What are you going to do with the word of the Lord today? That the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living. It's breathing. Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The more God's word that's inside of your heart, the more forgiving you will become, I promise you. The more of God's word that's inside of your heart, the more grace will extrude from you. The more you read God's word, the less you'll be in conflict with others. Amen? So I'm telling you today, I want you to do this. Because leadership in the church... Let me tell you about leadership in the church. As a pastor, there's over 30-some letters down in Vanceburg in a drawer entitled Letters from People in the Congregation. There's people that wrote me letters that told me I'm unfit to be a pastor. There's people that wrote letters that says, I'm leaving the church, I'll never be back. You guys treated me like dirt. When me and Leslie first come, our first year and a half here, 20-some of those letters come in within the first year and a half, 18 months of us being pastor. Rather than conflict resolution of writing the letter to say, Pastor, this is going on, let's sit down and talk about it, they just excommunicate and walk away. They don't want to talk. They don't want to fix anything. And they don't want to help me be better either. Am I saying I'm perfect? I'm absolutely not perfect, and I mess up a lot. I'm not the best pastor in the world. But one thing I want you to know today is I love you. If I ever hurt you, forgive me. I'm just human. Leslie's just human. But we try. We try so hard. But out of those 30-some letters, Doc, I've never got one letter in writing. Say, Pastor, I love you. You're doing a great job. Now, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just letting you know that letters are always trouble. People that do write letters today write letters when there's trouble. Go to the school board meeting and sit for once and listen and see what kind of letters come from parents to the school board. They don't, call and they don't write a letter to say, well, school board, you're doing an excellent job and you're making wise decisions and we're so grateful for you and we're just praying for you. Sign Bethesda Church, Amy Thayer. You don't see those letters. But wouldn't it be a better place in the world we live if somebody would write a letter and just letting the people in leadership know? Judge Executive Ruckle, I, I just, I'm just praying for you. I've done it. You can look on my phone. I've texted him and told him through a text, I'm praying for you, leader. Why? Because I want him to know that there's the prayer of the saints will lift him up when he feels like the rug's being pulled out from underneath of him. It's important, folks, to build people up, to edify people, to exhort people. It's what the Christian church should do according to Paul's epistles to the church. And I don't know if you've ever got one of those letters, those nasty letters. 
Somebody saying they hate you, wish you was dead. But those letters matter. But there ought to be more letters saying I love you than I hate you. Amen? I can tell you this, from all the funerals, of all the things I do in pastoring, and my job as a pastor is to bury people, to do funerals, to do weddings, to do uh, counseling, to do all this stuff that goes on in pastoring. I love it because there's letters, and I make people write things down, and I make them take notes and all this different stuff. But in, in a funeral, you'll go in, and whenever they're there, it's not about well, what so-and-so said or whatever. They, they don't go by that. That What the family does at the time of the funeral, they sit down that night or two before the funeral, they're making decisions, and they don't go back and... They, they pull out the picture album. This is what the first thing they do. They pull out the picture album, and they start looking for pictures to do the little slideshow and all that stuff. And sometimes they'll run across the picture, and they'll look on the back and say, well, I forgot about oh so-and-so. Here they are, and this was some kid I knew when I was a kid, and, and, and the writing of the grandparent or the mom or somebody's on the back of that picture, and they cherish the penmanship. They'll say, wow, look at her writing. Then usually if it's a godly grandmother or grandfather or somebody, they'll go in and dig through the house and they'll find an old Bible, an old dusty Bible that's sitting there on the, on the side of the bed or maybe it's over there in the kitchen or maybe it's over there in the living room and they'll go looking for that Bible, the old family Bible that's got all the stuff in it. And the grandmothers, they'll, they'll put pictures in there. They'll put little cards in there. They'll put the clippings of the first hair in there. There's all kinds of things you'll find in an old family Bible that some old lady sits there and thinks about. What will they want to know? When I'm gone. This is home for me. Because you can still go out there to my grandma's book house. And pull out some old book. And she'll have a handwritten note in there. Won't she, Aunt Jerry? How many of you found? I found, I don't know how many. Of my grandma's handwritten notes. And people will cherish that more than anything. And I love it, and I'm glad people do it. And if you don't do it, start doing it. If you don't have a family Bible in your, in your possession, in your home, get one and start sticking notes in it to your family. They need to know, Pap loved you. Little Carson will cherish it someday, I promise you, Pap. But here's the deal. When I'm writing and reading about these letters to the church, I'm thinking this. What if the world was different than what it is right now? And I'm not telling you that don't work because it does work. But let's make it better. Kids love nothing more than to get something in the mailbox. I remember being a little kid and Frances would tell us because she would take us over and we'd get a slushy at Noble's Sundry Store. Then we'd go over to the post office and go to the bank. And when we'd go to the post office, it'd be junk mail. I couldn't even read my name. Here's your letter. That's why she told us she'd give us letters. And it's like, man, oh, a letter I'd open up. I couldn't read nothing. But it felt like I was on top of the world. Somebody wrote me a letter. This is awesome. Buffalo Carson would get a letter in the mail. Rhea, what, what, if, what if I'm telling you, it'll change the history of who he will be. And I'm telling every person in this room, find a place to write it down and make it plain and write it on the tablets. 
began to write personal notes to people and mostly to those you love the most. And don't wait till they're dead, till you're dead, till they find it. Do it now. Do it now. You don't know when a little young man's gonna be 14 years old and sitting there thinking, does anybody in this world love me? My mom died of cancer. This went on, that went on. And he's sitting there thinking I'm all alone in a world of people that loves him. I loved it last night, Michelle. You said, people, we got to do better. We do. I'm telling you, Bethesda, we got to be better. If you don't have anybody write a letter to, get with me. I know a lot of people that need one. Sister Joanne that attends down at Vanceburg campus, walks in every week. She comes when she don't feel good. She comes when she feels good. She comes when she needs a cane. She comes when she can pull up the door and smile that morning. She comes just about every time the doors are open. Sister Joanne goes home all week. I've been there I don't know how many times, and I go and sit in that house trailer with her, and she'll sit there, and she'll just talk to you about things that's went on in her life. I'm telling you right now, if somebody in this congregation right here from Kentucky Heights would send a letter to Sister Joanne, it'll make her week, it'll make her month, it'll make her year. And she's not the only one. There's multiple people that needs a letter. Let's stand. I'm sorry I talked so long. I ain't preached for a month. Getting it all in at once. 45-minute sermon's too long. They say you're done at 30-something. I'm sorry, but uh, I want everybody here to just bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask you a very simple question. Nobody looking around, nobody wondering what everybody else is doing. I want to ask you this very simple question. How many here say, Pastor Ben, it's been more than five years since I've handwritten a note to somebody else. I want you to raise your hand. It's been more than five years that you've wrote a note to somebody else. Amen. Thank you for those hands. Hands everywhere. Amen. Amen. Second question is this. Pastor Ben, I wrote a handwritten note to somebody this past week. I'm not talking about a text. I'm not talking about a Snapchat. I'm not talking about Facebook message. I'm talking about a handwritten paper and pencil or ink pen note. I wrote it this past week. Is there anybody here who say, I wrote a note this past week? Thank you for that hand. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. It's important. Keep doing it. You can put your hand down. I want everybody in this place to pray this prayer with me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to forgive me for my lackadaisical spirit of not doing what you've told me to do. I'm asking you to forgive me for my faults, for my failures, for my sins, for my shortcomings. Help me to be the person that you've created me to be, to overcome. In Jesus' name, amen.